Good morning. I am well aware that some of you are riding a wave of God's blessing and and a sense of His presence, maybe that you have never experienced in your life. That some of you are are riding a wave of of gladness and joy, and and uh, and you're amazed by the grace of God. I'm also well aware that there are some of you who feel like you are not riding a wave, but you are under the waves, and that they keep crashing, and that you just feel like you could get, wish you could come up for air, but they keep hitting you on the head. And so, to all of us, I would say that we all need what we just sang. We all need a message of hope in Christ. So I want to ask you if you would take your Bibles and, and open them up and and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, excuse me, and stand with me as we read God's Word. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. We're asking this question today, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? This is what the Holy Spirit said through the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel... I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born he appeared also to me for I am the least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God but by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, so you believed. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you use your word in in such powerful ways amongst your people. We thank you, Lord, that your word will not return to you void without accomplishing the purpose for which you sent it forth. And there is a reason that you have sent this word forth even today in this room amongst these people uh, and all who hear. You have a purpose. And Lord, we want to know that purpose. We want to we bow underneath that purpose. We want, to, we want to order our lives according to that purpose. And so we pray for your will to be done. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How would you answer the question, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Now, if you're not sure how to respond, don't feel too bad. Most people can tell you that the word gospel means good news. The gospel of the grace of God in Christ is the best news that can ever be heard or told. But there's a lot of confusion amongst Christians of what the gospel means and what it is and what it does. Many know but can't exactly put their finger on it. They think the gospel is primarily what you share with people who don't know Jesus so they can know Jesus. And I hope you will see today that that is only part of the story. 
Many think of the Christian life in terms of parts. First, the gospel, where we come to faith in Christ. And then, growth, where we're set apart and make progress in Christ. And then, glory, where we'll be with Christ forever in heaven. The nice three-point outline, isn't it? Gospel, growth, and glory. I could have preached that today. But I'm not going to. See, following Jesus is not that cut and dried. For a majority of my Christian life, I thought of the gospel only in terms of what I received when I came to faith in Christ back in 1982 and what I needed to share with others in hopes that they too might be saved. In the process, though, what I did was I neglected to see its place in my life on an ongoing basis and to place the weight, the magnitude of the gospel that God places in the scripture. Uh, Sometimes you can be right next to the truth and not see it and you only see one aspect of it and don't see the larger application or the larger picture. And that's how it was in my life with the gospel and how it is with many Christians when it comes to the gospel. We tend to compartmentalize. We want to put things in neat and tidy little boxes. First comes this, then comes this, then comes that. And what happens is we make the gospel a system or a presentation rather than allowing it to be what it is. The truth of how God relates to us and changes us. The gospel is for all of life in Christ. All of life. It's not just the entry point. Now, viewing Christianity as a, as a sequence of separate steps is very understandable. It helps us get our mind around things that we don't naturally understand. And there is some truth to it. But God's word is not bound by our understanding of it. Just because we say something is true, just because we say something is a certain way, does not make it true. See, the gospel is, is more like a golden chain with, with uh, interlocking links, interconnected, even happening at the same time. It's like facets of the same diamond, displaying uh, beauty, uh, blending into a total picture. C.J. Mahaney put it this way, The gospel isn't one class among many that you attend during your life as a Christian. The gospel is the whole building that all the classes take place in. Rightly approached, all the topics you'll study and focused on as a believer will be offered to you within the walls of the glorious gospel. In the context of knowing Jesus, the gospel permeates everything. The gospel saturates everything. Now, there are also many opponents to the gospel. Paul calls them enemies of the cross of Christ in Philippians 3.18, whose end is destruction and whose God is their appetite and whose glory is in their shame. They set their minds on earthly things. They think on earthly things. A.W. Tozier said that what you think of when you think of God is the most important thing about you. Steve Lawson said what you think of Jesus is the most important thing about you. God the Son, what you think of Him. I will just add this. Your understanding, your understanding of and grasp of the gospel affects your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. Really, it affects your relationship with God, yourself, and others. You're talking to yourself right now. You've got a relationship with yourself. I know that sounds kind of funny, but uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. But your understanding and grasp of the gospel affects how you relate to God and yourself and others. You get the gospel right and and you are now on the platform to be able to live and, and share the gospel rightly. It's not automatic. 
got to be empowered by the Spirit of God. But you get the gospel wrong, and everything gets tweaked. Today, what we're going to look at is, what is the gospel, what does it mean, and what does it do? And my aim today is to simply show what God's Word says regarding what is the most wonderful and awesome and and stunning and, and uh, universe-transforming truth imaginable. The, 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 the best news ever, the gospel, the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. And we're going to do it by primarily looking at a passage of Scripture that was written to the first century church in Corinth. People like us who were struggling both internally and externally to free themselves from their own bent towards sin as well as the pollution of a culture bent on immorality. And we will see that the answer lies primarily in the gospel. In the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. Let's think about Corinth for a minute. By the time that Paul founded the church of Corinth around 50 AD. Corinth had been a Roman colony for over 100 years. It had been a Greek city but was destroyed by uh, Mummius in 146 BC because of a conflict with Rome. It lay in ruins for about 100 years. Julius Caesar made it a Roman colony. It became the seat of the Roman governor in the province of Achaia. It quickly grew larger than Athens. It was a city rich in culture. Its citizens worshipped many gods. It was located in the heart of a primary trade route in those days in the ancient world. And it had a reputation. It had a reputation for immorality and promiscuity and sensuality and corruption. To Corinthianize something was to ruin it morally. And the church struggled. The church in Corinth struggled with these external influences, but also it began to splinter internally over various issues. Basically, they were not getting along. It wasn't working. Tim Keller says that all of our problems come from a failure to apply the gospel. All of our problems come from a failure to apply the gospel. Enter Paul with a focus on the centrality of the gospel. And we will see today its message, its meaning, and its mission. So I do have a three-point outline. It doesn't have the G words in it, the M words today. The gospel's message, first of all. First, let's look at the message of the gospel. What it says, what it communicates. Its explanation. How do you explain it? Well, what is it? Look with me at verse 1, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 1. Paul has corrected a lot of things with the church in Corinth, and he's, he's nearing the end of, his, of this letter to them, and, and he says this, he says, now, I would remind you, I, I'm going to remind you of something. You remind someone of something, you're telling them something they already heard. They've heard this before, they, they should know this. He says, I'm going to remind you, brothers, they're in the family of God, brothers and sisters, believers, he's speaking to believers, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. It's good news. It's news that you can be saved from the power and penalty of sin. He had preached it. He had proclaimed it as fact from God. And he said that you, you received it. I, I preached the gospel to you and, and you received it. They, they, they accepted it as truth from God. And then he says, in which you stand. It's the gospel I preached and you received and now you're, you're standing in it. You're, you're living in it. You're not, you're not falling. You're standing. You're, you're secure in it. You're, you're founded in it. You're settled in it in it you you recognize it as the basis for your acceptance from with God and then he says and by which verse 2 and by which you are being saved now he's speaking to believers 
Wouldn't he just say, you are saved? Some, some translations say that. This idea is that you, you are being saved. It was initiated at some point in time, and God is, God is the initiator, and he is carrying it on to completion. So even when you think of the Christian life in these, maybe those three realms of gospel and growth and glory, God is the author and finisher of that realm. And, and so the, the truth that is contained in that little system we sometimes put together or something like it, it, it still goes back to God initiated it and he sustains it and he's going to complete it. By which you are being saved. It's a continual process being made right with God and growing and being renewed. And then he says this, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, this gospel that he preached, if you hold fast to it, enduring life as, as a professing believer that you don't, you, don't, you don't come to a day in your life and you say, I don't believe anymore. But you persevere, you, you endure, you, you, you show yourself to be true because God made you that way. Hold fast the word. And then he says, at the end of verse 2, unless you believed in vain, and I don't know, besides, besides him saying, I am unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. I don't know if there's a, a, more, a more sad sentence in here, a, a more sad possibility. Unless you believed in vain? What would that mean? What's believing in vain? Believing in vain would be believing something that is not in accordance with the scriptures. He's going to recount to them. He's going to recall to them the, 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 what the scriptures say about the gospel. What is believing in vain? It's believing something not in accord with scripture and, and possibly believing only for the benefits that are, that are offered. Fire insurance or whatever you want to say. Or, or maybe it's the community acceptance that comes along with it. You know, everyone accepted me once I said I believed. Or maybe it's just not trusting God's work, but yours. What you can do rather than what he did and is doing. Misunderstanding Christ and what he did and, and why. That would be believing in vain. And in that case, if that happens, and he would have been... For though, if whoever that would be true of, and he wouldn't know, only God would know. He would weep. We would weep over. We weep over people who who seem to believe in vain because it just doesn't stick some somehow. And the problem, there's nothing wrong with the content of the gospel. It's faulty reception, humanly speaking. It's a very simplistic way to put it, and that also has its errors. But the idea is, there's nothing wrong with the gospel. What is this gospel message? What, what are the essential points of this gospel message? We talk about them all the time. If we didn't, there'd be something wrong. But let me recount to you what those would be. First of all, God is holy. God is holy. He created and owns everything, including you. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 24 and verse 1 that we started this service with said, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, that's us too, he created the world and he created everything in it. And he, he owns everything, including us. And he is perfectly holy. You shall be holy for I am holy, First Peter says. He requires perfect obedience to his law. James 2.10 says that whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles in one point is accountable for all of it. You've got to keep it all. So God is holy and there is a requirement there. And, and the second thing is man is sinful. Man is sinful. Christ died for our sins, verse 3 in 1 Corinthians 15 says. Christ died for our sins because we are sinful. We've broken God's law. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 10 and verse, verse 23 as well. I knew that. And I know that. And you will pay the eternal penalty for your sin. Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death, but the, the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That, that's what I deserve. I, the penalty of sin. And, 
And, and, and you can't save yourself by your own good works. Titus 3.5. He saves us, not on the basis of deeds that we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, giving us what we, holding back what we do deserve, his wrath, and giving us what we don't deserve, his grace. His acceptance, his, his forgiveness. Man is sinful. And I found that, that one out the hard way. It took a while for me in my life for it to sink in. To, God broke through with his truth through my hard heart, but it, it, I was pretty hard-hearted to the gospel for quite a long time. We're enemies of God. We're, we're destined to destruction unless, unless someone takes up for us and intervenes on our behalf. Which is what happened. We, we know we're getting to that part. This is good news. Right? But the wrath of God rightly falls on all who do not believe and will fall. But the third thing is that Jesus is Savior. Jesus. Sweetest name I know. uh, Jesus. Heart of the gospel. Paul said, you received this gospel and you, you believed it. Verse 11, you you believed by which you are being saved. He's the Savior by by which you are being saved. The gospel by which you are being saved. Christ came to earth as both God and sinless man. Colossians 2.9 tells us that in him all the fullness of, of deity, of Godhood, dwells in bodily form. And Christ demonstrated his love for us by dying on the cross to pay sin's penalty. He became sin who knew no sin. Christ rose from the grave and is alive today. He's the Savior. Verse 4 tells us, He was buried and He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. These are facts. Historical facts. The fourth thing is that a response is needed. Response is needed. God is holy, man is sinful, Jesus is Savior, and response is needed. You must repent of all that dishonors God. You must believe in Christ as Lord and Savior, in charge and able to save, able to rescue you. Be willing to follow after Him. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. There is a response. We come to God initially. Through faith and repentance, we, we, we believe and we turn from our sins and, and turn to God. And on an ongoing basis, we keep coming to God in faith and repentance and, 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 and praise God because of the Spirit of God, obedience. We be able to do what God says to do. We, we sang it in the song before. The strength to follow your commands does not come from me. It comes from you. The message of the gospel is so important that believers are continually warned in the New Testament to beware of false teachers. Galatians, chapter 1, verse 6, Paul, he says, I am astonished. It blows my mind that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Let him go to hell. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He goes on to say, I'm not seeking your approval. I'm seeking God's approval. I got to tell you the truth, he says. But the message of the gospel is clear. It's clear throughout all of Scripture, God being holy and man being sinful. And and then we see Jesus, the Savior, and, and a response is needed. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. But then we get to the meaning of the gospel and, and, and what it stands for, its, its implication. And I'm just going to point out, there are many, but I'm going to point out two facets of this beautiful diamond. And the first is salvation. 
verse 2, by which you are being saved. It's this work that God does to rescue lost sinners from hell. God knowing us. God choosing before all time who would be saved. God renewing the lives of those who respond by faith. God leading us to believe and trust the message of the gospel. Us turning to God based on the gospel. Us turning from sin to God. God freeing us from the power and penalty of sin. God declaring sinners not guilty. Not guilty. Acquitted. Free. God separating us from the trap of the ongoing trap of sin that we so easily fall into. And our continued true belief remaining saved because God is totally trustworthy. And God keeps His covenant all by Himself. He is faithful. He remains faithful. Even if we are faithless, He cannot deny Himself. Keeps his covenant all by himself. And then he empowers us to live and to communicate the gospel. And God's, part of this salvation is God's final removal of all sin from the life and the presence of believers in eternity. We're dragged down by it today, but one day we'll be free, totally free. And it's all of God and none of us. All of God and none of us. He saved us. I'll remind you again of Titus 3, 5. He saved us not on the basis of deeds we have done in righteousness. It's according to his mercy. But don't get the idea that God doesn't use us as his tools. Our standing is not based on what we do, but God uses us as his instruments of righteousness. What does Paul say in in verse 10 here in in 1 Corinthians 15? After he said, look, as to one untimely born, Jesus appeared to me. And he made me an apostle. And I wasn't even, I'm not worthy to be one. I persecuted the church. He's reminding them. And then he says in verse 10, and here's why. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. And then he says, on the contrary, I worked. I worked harder than all of them. But it wasn't me. Don't get the wrong idea. It wasn't me. It was the grace of God that is with me. God working through me. God using me. I like to use the example of a picture of a piece of elbow macaroni. I'm an Italian. Come on. Elbow macaroni. And if you you hold it just right under a stream of water, it becomes a cool little conduit of, the water flowing through and it'll go off to the side well that's us we're a tool we're an instrument we're a channel but god is the one flowing in us god is the one living in us god is the one moving in power we are jars of clay or earthen vessels this this greatness of the glory of god this greatness of the gospel are is housed in these jars of clay that they're hurting right now that will hurt when you get up <laughs> some of you even more than others salvation it's all of god none of us and god uses us as his tools his instruments his elbow macaroni now the second implication i'll point out to you is is reconciliation another facet of this beautiful diamond reconciliation look with me again at verse one there's so much concentrated in verse one and verses one and two of this passage that it it it, it literally blows my mind and usually i want to get to verse three He says in in verse 1, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Let's let's think about that for a moment. In which you stand. We cannot stand before a holy God unless that holy God does something about our separation issue, our enmity, our hostility are being enemies with God because of sin. Our enmity, our hostility made us hostile in heart and mind. We were alienated from the life of God. Ephesians 2, 3 tells us we were by nature children of wrath even as the rest who do not believe. 
we were deserving the full measure of the wrath of God for the sins we have committed. And not only did our hostility keep us from God, the debt of our sin itself kept us from God. Look with me at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 2, excuse me. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 13. And you... He's speaking to believers. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. That was, the New American Standard says, hostile to us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Christ. When we consider the magnitude of what God has done to reconcile us to himself, making peace through the blood of his cross, we're we're left speechless. Romans 5.1 tells us that by having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, reconciliation with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Jesus preached peace to us who were far away. Jesus preached peace, reconciliation. Revelation 6 and verse 16 tells us of a day that when all who don't believe in that day the moon will become like blood red the, the stars will fall from the sky and, and those who do not believe will say to the mountains and the rocks fall on us hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and, and from the wrath of the lamb the lamb slain before the foundation of the world before Jesus, whom God purposed to save a people for himself. And, and, they, and they will say the, the, the great day of their wrath has come. And who, here's what they're going to ask, who is able to stand? Who is able to stand? Only those who are standing in the gospel. Recipients of God's gracious and merciful provision by grace through faith in Jesus, the only hope of anyone standing in God's presence without fear. Reconciliation. We trust God for that. We trust the Word of God. We trust what God has done. Lastly, let's look at the mission of the gospel. The mission of the gospel what it does, what it accomplishes, what's its application. And first we've got to go to Galatians 2 and verse 11. Please go with me there because we've got to see something. And for those of us who don't like, we don't like it when people have differences of opinion, this will come as a little bit of a shock. Galatians 2 and, and verse 11 Paul is recounting a situation and he says this, when, when Cephas came to Antioch, that's Peter, okay? When Peter came to Antioch, here's what he says, I opposed him to his face. Ooh, got a little situation going on, right? Two believers and he's, but Paul is opposing him to his face in the presence of many people. It's kind of like when you correct your kids you, in front of other people. You say, well, you did it in front of other people. I'm going to correct you in front of others, right? Well, He says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Paul is is nailing him on, on, basically on not being courageous and on, on being a racist. And here's what it says, verse 13. The rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. He was being a hypocrite. 
so that even Barnabas, son of encouragement, Barnabas, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Verse 14, but when I saw that their conduct, their actions, their, their course was not, and, and get this, not in step with the truth of the gospel, which tells me there is a, a boundary line of the gospel. There is a there is a there's a road, there is a, a way, there is there are it's like bowling for kids with bumpers on the sides. And we're gonna knock up against it, but it's a straight and narrow way of the gospel. They were not acting in line, in step with the truth of the gospel. So he says, I said to Safus before them all, in front of everybody, this is, this is a, a, a situation happening here. Everyone's getting all nervous. What's, what's going to happen? People crowding around probably, and, and they're like, what's going on? And here's what he said. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to do that? He's calling them to task. He's saying, what you are, basically, you're not in line with the gospel. That is not the gospel. He goes on to explain it in greater detail. But the mission of the gospel, you think about Paul dealing with Peter's issues by declaring that he was not living in in line with the truth of the gospel, we see that the Christian life is a process of renewing every dimension of our life by thinking and by hoping and by living out the lines of the gospel. The ramifications of the gospel, the implications of the gospel, the applications of the gospel. The gospel is to be applied to every area of thinking, feeling, relating, working, behaving, And the implications and the applications are huge. They're huge. The gospel, let me give you three things about the mission of the gospel and what the gospel generates. The gospel, first of all, generates conformed belief. Conformed belief. Romans 1.16 says the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Okay? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Acts 16.31. Conformed belief. That's beliefs conformed to the scripture. Look with me again at 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 3, he says, I delivered you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, and, and get this continued, this repeated thing in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Conform belief. This, this gospel was preached. It was received. They stood in it. They were, they were being saved by it. Past, present, and future. And, and uh, he's hoping they didn't believe in vain. And, and the grace of God, he says, makes you what you are. Like, like Paul says in verse 10. But it's the hope of the gospel. It's believing. It's, 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 that's the anchor point. It's, it's, a, it's a belief conformed by the boundaries of Scripture. In line with the truth of Scripture. Conformed belief. The second thing is informed sharing. Informed sharing. 1 Corinthians 9.16, Paul says, Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. So he's got to get it out. But it's got to be the true gospel. It's evangelism shaped by scripture. We may not always share the gospel as well as we would like to when when we speak with unbelievers. But God's goodness thrills our hearts. We're overwhelmed by his goodness to us and his grace to us. And therefore, we want to share it. 2 Corinthians 4 tells us, verses 1 through 6 tells us, the gospel is hidden to those who are perishing. Only God can open their hearts to those. It's, it's 1 Corinthians 1 even tells us the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Those who are in process with God, it's the power of God. He's the one who keeps you, starts it, and continues it on, and will finish it. And it's power of God versus human power and human wisdom and Human persuasiveness, even 1 Corinthians 2, Paul goes into that. It's not clever words that we all get all worked in and all that, even though Paul was a gifted communicator. It was the idea of the power being in the word of God and the gospel of God. It's bringing the gospel into every area of life. It's the way to be changed by the power of God. It does not simply bring us power. It is the power. The gospel is the power of God itself. That's what Paul said. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. Romans 1.16. Therefore, we hold fast. Uh, Paul says in, in verse 2, uh, verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, if you hold fast to the word. We see that idea also in, in Philippians 
um, in, in chapter 2, which talks about holding fast and almost holding it fast so that you can hold it forth, uh, to share it. You've got to be able to hold it to share it, and it's got to be informed by the Scriptures. We are, we are convinced that there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved, but the name of Jesus, Acts 4.12. Therefore, we are convinced, therefore we communicate. we convinced, therefore communicating. Third thing, uh, most significantly, because it affects everything, it, it affects everything we do. The gospel brings transformed living. Living transformed by God's grace. Again, I'm going to take you right back to, to 1 Corinthians 15, 1. I remind you, brothers, of the gospel that was preached, that was received, in which you stand, in which you're being saved. This idea, there's a transformation going on. Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God is bringing about a renewal in the lives of Christians. Regeneration, renewal, which comes by and through and because of the Holy Spirit. It's this idea of the sufficiency of the gospel for everything in life. The transforming power of the gospel that washes over everything. It's kind of like when you put a, a white shirt in with red clothes in the washing machine. What's going to happen to that white shirt? Some of you might be wearing that one today. Under your other one. You know, I'm sure you might be doing that. I've worn many pink shirts that weren't supposed to be pink. The gospel permeates, affects everything. Go with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, in verses 5 and 6. Paul says this. He starts by saying, I thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. Verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is also bearing fruit and growing. What is? The gospel. As it, is, as it also does among you. Not just with unbelievers, but among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. We see the gospel is a living thing like a seed or a tree that brings more and more new life. Bearing fruit and growing. The gospel is planted in us to bear fruit as we understand the greatness and implications deeply. He says that you understood God's grace in truth. And the gospel continues to grow in us and renew us throughout our lives. What he says, as it has been doing since the day you heard it. The New Testament shows that Christians should hear the gospel as much as non-Christians. Romans 1.15, he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. He is writing to believers whom he says are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you that I just saw the ramifications of this last week. And for years, I've been using this and this ver- these two verses and saying, these are my ministry verses. And I, I, I change something every time I share it. It, it, it. Just ever so s- subtly, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I know it by heart, but I'm going to read it out of my Bible. Um, here's what it says. But we, verse 7, were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you, with you, not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. He wanted to share the gospel of God on an ongoing basis with believers. I usually say, well, we share God's word and and. And our lives. The Bible here says the gospel and our lives. So it's the idea of preaching daily. Preaching daily. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I'm off the hook now. I can relax. It's almost time to go anyway, but I can relax because 
I'm not a preacher. That's what you're saying right now. You know, I'm not a preacher. Some of you are, but some, most of you are going, I'm not a preacher. I'm just going to say this. Oh, yes, you are. You are all preachers. So preach the gospel daily to yourself and to everyone else. Every one of you is a preacher. How does an understanding of the gospel transform your life? The gospel fills Christians with humility and hope and meekness and boldness in a unique way. Think about religion. It operates in this principle. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. But the gospel says I'm accepted through Christ, therefore I want to obey. Secularism inflates self. Moralism crushes people under a weight of guilt that they have standards they can't keep. You know, in those systems, you can seek to be your own Lord and Savior by by breaking God's law or by keeping it. (laughs) Choose your poison. The gospel humbles us and affirms us at the same time. We are at the same time just, and we are sinners still. We are more flawed and sinful. I've said this so many times. Get it from Tim Keller. We're more flawed and sinful than we ever dared imagine, and more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. Secularism makes people selfish and individualistic. Religion makes people tribal and self-righteous towards others because they think they earn their salvation by good behavior. But the gospel of the grace of God in Christ focuses on a man dying for us while we were his enemies. Removing self-righteousness, removing selfishness, and leads us to serve others regardless of their merits, just as Christ served us. The gospel moves us. The gospel transforms life situations. So when you're angry with someone, now remember, you're preachers. You're preachers. You're angry with someone. You're preaching to yourself, and you're, and you're going to start preaching to them. When you're angry, when, you're, when someone has cheated you, when, when you have let someone else down, when they have let, left you down, when the economic bottom falls out, when, when tragedy strikes a family member, when you encounter unimaginable disappointment, preach the gospel to yourself and everyone else because you are preaching. You are proclaiming something. Paul says the gospel is of first importance. Verse 3. God sent Jesus to earth, God in the flesh, to die on the cross for our sin. All who trust in Christ alone to save them will be saved from the wrath of God, freed from the power and penalty of sin. God restores us to his purpose of reflecting his glory. He's at work conforming us to the image of Christ. We live and share that message. We're supposed to live and share that message daily. But what usually happens is we substitute. We substitute being satisfied in God with something else. And it could be something close to God. And to remedy this tendency, only one thing will work. Only one thing. Only one thing. Preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. There is no secret formula in the Christian life. If you've been looking for it for years, I'm here to tell you there is no secret formula. There is just one magnificent truth, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Jerry Bridges wrote, to preach the gospel to yourself means you continually face up to your own sinfulness. But you don't stay there. Then you flee to Jesus through faith in his shed blood and righteous life. You tell yourself the truth. You say, hey, self. You're talking to yourself. So you say to yourself, hey, listen to this. Here's what you should focus on. You have hope because because Jesus sacrificed himself for you. Self, be governed by that defining worth. Every one of us is a preacher. You are already preaching to yourself every day. I'm fat. I'm ugly. I'm no good at this or that. He's arrogant. She's gossipy. Why does everyone look at me like that? Don't preach that. Stop preaching that. Let it be the gospel you are hearing. Don't believe everything you tell yourself. Don't believe everything you hear. Be wary. The heart is deceitful. 
Believe the gospel. Tell it to yourself often. Say this to yourself. Say, hey, God has addressed my most serious problem, sin and judgment, at the cross. Let that perspective have its intended result, that intended transforming effect on your soul. In the midst of daily troubles, in the midst of stressful situations, Jesus died for me. Therefore, I will respond differently based on that. There are many opportunities to consider the implications of the gospel. I had many this week. When I was tempted to answer someone rudely, and I didn't, by the way, this wasn't 100%, or I just, no 100% here on this one. But when I, when I was tempted to answer someone rudely, I, I didn't. When I was, when I was tempted to, to judge someone by the way they looked and what they were blowing in my face, um, I, I reached out to them and, and gave them something instead. Um, when, I, when I was weary and I felt like I couldn't help anyone, I thought, well, how does the truth of the gospel play out in this? I was challenging a brother about something. I said, how does the gospel play out in this? When I, when I got crazy news, disappointing news, shocking news, I thought, how does the gospel affect this? John Piper said this, Today, as in every generation, it is stunning to watch the shift away from God as the all-satisfying gift of God's love. It is stunning how seldom God himself is proclaimed as the greatest gift of the gospel. The best and final gift of the gospel is that we gain Christ. The worship team's going to come up, or Billy's going to come up, and the worship team, I think, too. Uh, let, me, let me read this, and we'll pray. Philippians 3.8, I... Paul said this, I count all things loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are the greatest gift of the gospel. That Jesus is all we need and all we have and that Jesus is is the life of every believer. Lord, empower us. Uh, expand our vision, Lord, of, of the gospel and its, its true ramifications over every area of life. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.